0: Hello and welcome along to the Northern Agenda podcast, the the show that looks at politics stories in the north of England from a northern perspective. I'm Rob Parsons, a journalist based in Leeds. I follow the ups and downs of politics from our big cities to our rural shires and everywhere in between, and I write it all up for a daily newsletter called the Northern Agenda. We're back after a Christmas break for 2024, so I hope everyone listening at home is refreshed and ready to go. It only seems right... To kick off the year with a look ahead to some of the stories we're going to be talking about in northern politics for the next 12 months the impending general election which we know will happen sometime in the next year will surely loom large over political debate in our region but there are a host of fascinating subplots across the north that will make headlines of their own and potentially play a part in deciding who gets the keys to number 10. so let's dissect some of those with two fantastic guests Andy Westwood is a professor of government practice at the University of Manchester and he has worked in the UK government as a political and special advisor and civil servant in a variety of departments. And Jen Williams is ex-political editor of the Manchester Evening News, now northern correspondent for the Financial Times. She, in the last year, has been digging into big northern topics like the allegations of dodgy practice at the Teeswork project and how the cost of living crisis has played out at a Greater Manchester School. So, Jen and Andy, welcome along. Happy happy New Year. Hello, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. So, um, I was originally thinking I would just focus on Northern stuff in this chat and leave analysis of the national picture to other podcasts. But given that the election is going to dominate proceedings up here, it only seems right to start off by talking a bit about the current state of play. Um, So it's Thursday, January the 4th, as we record this podcast. And today, both Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak are giving speeches, looking forward to the year ahead. Uh, I was interested to see Starmer promise uh, what he described as a politics that treads a little lighter on all of our lives, and an end to politics that needs you constantly focusing on this week's common enemy. It'll be interesting to see what he means by that. But Obviously, the Tories go into this election defending a big swathe of seats in the north of England. They won in 2019 in places that were previously Labour strongholds. But that seems a lifetime ago now. Is there any prospect, Andy, do you think, of the Tories holding on to places like Bishop Auckland and Redcar when we go to the polls this time around?
1: well it doesn't look like it at the moment and if you if you look at kind of the the polls that have been done uh lo- locally in those places and across across the north uh as well as nationally then the kind of uh, the Tories are a, are a long long way behind and have been for a, a good period of time now so it's it's looking pretty bleak for for them and um uh, perhaps not unsurprisingly, a lot a lot of the uh, MPs that were elected in 2019 have already decided to stand down and not contest that election so, you know, we're also looking at a whole swathe of new candidates uh, from the Conservatives kind of being fielded in those places but the, um, the relationship between kind of what happens in the general election and, and what happens uh, in the local and mayoral elections that, w- that are definitely happening <laughs> in May will also be fascinating not least because they'll give us a bit of an idea of of how the votes are going to uh are going to kind of go to to different parties when um when those elections happen in may and of course the other reason that they're, they're connected is that is that both both elections are going to feature quite a lot of the same issues um so you know we'll not just get kind of a road testing of the way that people are going to vote but we're also going to get a road testing of some of the the particular political issues that um the different parties think are going to be the most important um, um, when the general election comes along.
0: Yeah, no, that's definitely true. I mean, I guess what I've heard said is that in 2019, on the doorstep in northern constituencies, the big factors that won the election for the Conservatives were Brexit, uh, Boris Johnson and his uh, appeal, and Jeremy Corbyn and his lack of appeal to northern voters. Obviously, none of those factors now Exist leveling up, which I guess was the other thing that was sort of uh, suggested as a bit of a election winner for the Conservatives. That uh, I think it's fair to say hasn't really happened in the way that uh, people would have hoped. So, Jen, what what do you think are going to be the big battlegrounds on which uh, the main parties try and woo Northern voters? Will it be a similar similar stuff to 2019, or, or, or are we talking different things this time round?
2: Well, I think you're right. I mean, it, Brexit is not really uh, in the picture as a, an issue this time around. and you know, it's not something that's been coming up on the doorstep as far as I'm, as far as I've heard. I think, uh, as you say, a lot of those factors, or well, those three main factors that were present in the 2019 election, just aren't in play this time. And I think, right, you know, I think you can kind of over distinguish between northern seats and the rest of the country in some respects. Right across the board, I think cost of living is going to be at the forefront of um, voters' minds, but you would expect that to be more the case in the kind of relatively disadvantaged constituencies that we saw move from uh, from Labour to the Conservatives in 2019. And I think, you know, we may find that some of that talk about long-term structural complete realignment that was talked about around the time of the 2019 general election may have been a little bit premature, as Andy was saying then, that you know it doesn't look like a lot of these seats may well go back uh, to Labour. Um, I think the economy is going to be absolutely front and centre. I think what you saw in 2019 was a very deliberate strategy on the part of D- Boris Johnson to work out what would play best among this new coalition of... Um, Voters that they had in leave leaning constituencies in the North and the Midlands that didn't like Jeremy Corbyn. And the answer was to lean left on the economy and to talk about much more kind of interventionist type stuff than you would normally expect a Conservative Prime Minister to be talking about. So, you know, investment in services, building hospitals, um, and this kind of very explicit, if at the same time vague, levelling up agenda. That doesn't, that whole um narrative from the Conservatives seems to have largely died away since Boris Johnson left office. If I'm honest, you don't really hear an awful lot about it anymore. And concurrent with that, they haven't got an awful lot to show for it either so i would imagine that there will be a smattering of things that have come out of that leveling up agenda which will be used by local conservative candidates in these places as exact as uh, to try and demonstrate progress so there will be places where certain things have been built off the back of that agenda you know they will have had money to build whatever the thing may be a college a leisure center do up a park whatever the thing may be and in some of those places um, those things will be pointed to as examples in the hope that they can kind of demonstrate that they've been paying attention to to the seats that were to the uh, votes that were loaned to them in the words of Boris Johnson in 2019 um i think uh you can probably expect some of those projects that were vaguely highlighted in in the network north plan at Tory party conference to pop up on leaflets so this was the replacement for HS2 uh, from Birmingham to Manchester, that has then resulted in, you know, a, a, a series of s- somewhat vague uh promises uh for localized transport schemes in the north of the Midlands. But you can already see people like Ben Houch in the Mayor Tees Valley very much embracing that opportunity to say hey, you know, look at all of these different transport schemes that I'm going to be able to deliver for you because I successfully said to the government, you don't want to build that over there to Manchester. You want to give us a load of things that we can we can benefit from in Teesside. So uh, you can imagine some of those things also coming up on election leaflets in the North and Midlands on the part of um, Tory candidates. On the part of Labour, you know, the narrative uh, developing has been around this idea of comfort and security from a world that is increasingly anxiety inducing whether that is your kind of domestic finances whether it's international warfare whether it's climate change and this idea that you know we exist to try and um kind of make that world a little bit less scary uh and to at the same time you know obviously reassuring voters that they can be trusted on the Economy again. I think that that is a message that is going to be applied right across the country, but that includes reassuring voters who might have been scared off by Jeremy Corbyn that actually you can come back to us and 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 things will be safer. And it does also tie into that kind of um, co-opting of the take back control phrase that Labour has been periodically reviving to talk about. Uh, actually, you know, we're going to apply this to things like more localised power and more power over your own lives and more sense that everything is a bit scary but we're going to help you feel as though you're in control of things.
0: It's interesting you mention the sort of levelling up schemes that will likely feature on election uh, leaflets come in the next few months. I think one of the areas in which that will undoubtedly happen is uh, Blackpool South uh, which I think it's probably fair to say, I haven't done, done the figures on this, it probably got more in the way of direct levelling up funding going into Blackpool than anywhere else in the country. There was an interesting uh, newsletter by a Paul War, uh, veteran journalist for the Eye newspaper who said that levelling up promises made to Blackpool hadn't been made. And the levelling up department, I saw, took the unusual step of issuing a lengthy uh, rebuttal article on their on their website saying we have poured this money this this project blah 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 into into Blackpool 100 million pounds of leveling up funding uh, according to Michael Gove's leveling up department has gone into Blackpool and they're doing a sort of deep dive into what the issues that are there I mean Blackpool is one of those places that when you see league tables of things like drug use and violence and obesity sadly blackpool tends to be at the wrong end of a lot of those uh places for a whole variety of reasons um but blackpool south is there's going to be a by-election there we would imagine in the next few weeks so we will get to see what local voters make of uh what's happened there in the last four years scott benton who is the uh current mp Blackpool South. He was caught by undercover Times reporters essentially uh, shilling for uh, gambling investors uh, and promising all sorts. The uh, Parliamentary Standards Committee have uh, issued quite a a stern report about him and recommended a 35 day suspension, which ultimately could trigger uh, a by election in Blackpool South. Scott Benton's already had the Tory whip removed um so it will be interesting to see what voters make of that i mean the the one thing to say about blackpool south it is not a uh people talk about it'll be interesting to see what the red wall voters say blackpool south is not a red wall seat uh it was uh it's voted conservative for a a pretty decent proportion of its history but obviously it does still have you know big pockets of deprivation and so forth i think the tories have a three thousand odd majority there, I mean, can, can we learn any lessons from what what will likely happen in in Blackpool South? Do you think?
2: Um, I, one of the things that I'll be looking out for, I mean, it's like it's, it's going to be a low turnout, right? Um, so there's uh, probably a very low turnout. So there's only so much, so so many lessons that you can draw from a very low uh, <laughs> low turnout um, by election. But probably the thing that i would be looking for is um, how reform uh, perform against, not only against the Conservatives, but against Labour. Uh, Nigel Farage has been sort of starting to push this line, a little bit like UKIP about ten years ago in places like Hayward and Middleton, where UKIP nearly beat Labour in a by-election in 2014. Um, you know, the narrative, the developing narrative at the time, which then played out in the Brexit referendum, was actually we can take votes from uh, Labour as well as the Tories in, uh, in the North. Um, He's now kind of going down that road again, talking about reform and saying, uh, you know, th- the same is true. Is that true? Um, that's something I think I would be looking out for uh, in that by-election. And I think, you know, to be fair to the government, they have um, they have done some of the things that you've just described that... Um, Michael Gope's department, is saying in its rebuttal. They have put a lot of capital funding into Blackpool and it is going to be getting quite a substantial new, um, they're calling it a multiversity, but it's a kind of um, all-singing, all-dancing new kind of further education, higher education facility. And they have been doing a deep dive more recently on what's needed in order to turn things around in Blackpool, although that is kind of somewhat belated but if at the forefront of people's minds is the cost of living and a general sense of decline then i would question whether or not any of those things are really going to be what 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 does what what helps them hold on it's interesting
0: you mentioned the reform party they had a big press conference this this week where they very firmly parked their tanks on the tory lawn and said they're going to be standing candidates in in a lot of tory seats which you imagine could have a big impact in the north just looking back at 2019, uh, the Brexit Party, which you know appeals to, uh, you would imagine a similar swathe of uh, voters. Um, they came quite very close to unseating Dan Jarvis in in Barnsley Central, uh, in Doncaster Central. Uh, their candidate got seven thousand votes, and if all those votes had gone to the Tory, then the Tory would have won that that seat as well. So they, they like you say, reform could be a big a big factor. And um, so, just moving on from the general election to as Andy says, the uh, other elections that we definitely know are going to happen this year—the mayor, mayoral, and local elections in May the second—there's going to be a huge, big uh, swathe of different elections. I guess I'm particularly interested in some of the metro mayoral elections, the likes of Andy Burnham in Greater Manchester, uh, Ben Houchon in T side, uh, Tracy Braben in West Yorkshire are all up for. Re-election, as well as new metro mayors being elected in uh, the northeast and North Yorkshire and York. Um, Andy, are there any you're particularly excited about, or particularly paying particular attention
1: to? Well, I'm sad enough to be excited about all of them, um, but um, <laughs> I think I think in terms of um, which are going to be most interesting, or which are going to be the, the closest. Then, then the northeast's going to be where where the action is. Uh, both both the new northeast combined authority, uh, and uh, and what happens in Teesside, and uh, the Tees Valley, kind of with uh, uh, lots of things happening or due to happen before that election uh, takes place in May. But um, I'm also, I mean, straying slightly outside of you know, you know, with, with a sort of sort of liberal kind of definition of the north. I'm also quite interested in places like the East Midlands. Uh, which is a quite an interesting election but i think i think going back to um going back to the the races that you mentioned i mean i'd be very very surprised if uh uh andy burnham tracy braben oliver coppard aren't kind of uh, um uh reelected um in 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 the sort of mayoralties that they currently hold uh, steve rotherham uh, as well um but the obviously the new northeast one will be interesting because the incumbent is now an independent in a slightly different, a slightly different kind of geographical patch going from north of Tyne to the whole of the northeast. So we've got that sort of battle between Jamie Driscoll and uh, and the the official Labour candidate, who's currently the Police and Crime Commissioner, Kim McGuinness, who who I think will probably end up winning that one. Um, and then and then we've got kind of the 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 Tees Valley one, which. Um, Ben Houchen, you would expect to be uh, um a shoe in um you know he extended his majority the second time out quite a popular figure for for you know lots of sort of very uh, clear reasons but um as as with lots of the sort of uh, lots of those constituencies including Blackpool that you were just talking about you know a lot a lot of money a lot of kind of promise that has gone into these places there's there's very little delivery to <laughs> to show for it so you know there's lots of leaflets and campaigns can say 100 million 30 million kind of you know we've won this we're going to do this but um uh, not a lot has happened and in 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 the case of the Tees Valley uh, we we have the uh, the findings of the um, of the report into into T's works due between now and the election, and that I think is going to be well very interesting in of itself. But it's going to be even more interesting when you set it against some of the kind of broader uh, political kind of problems that the Conservatives are having around uh, around kind of alleged corruption and uh, uh, and cronyism. So I. I mean, it'd be interesting actually to see to see if you know if Houchen gets as far as the election, <laughs> let alone whether he uh, um, actually stands and wins. Yeah, I mean, Jen, I
0: imagine you have some. Uh, you, you, well, you, you've done a lot of digging, as we mentioned before, into into Teesworks. You did a very lengthy investigation piece for the FT, all about the uh, the governance issues uh, there and who stands to benefit from the massive public investment in this big regeneration zone on the old steelworks at Redcar. I mean, obviously, none of us know what is going to be in this report, but do you think there's any chance what does emerge from it will have a bearing on the ballot box? Or is it likely it will be so technical that perhaps the average voter maybe won't engage with it? Is that is that a possibility?
2: Well, I mean, the first thing I say is that it's massively delayed, this report. It was supposed to come out by the end of the summer. It was supposed to be a quick turnaround. Um and it still hasn't surfaced and you also have these processes that you go through when a report of this nature is done where it's it, it also has to work its way through whitehall and it also has to be put to the organization in question so that they can pick holes in it before it materializes and i'm just starting to wonder whether or not we conveniently get to the perda period ahead of the mayoral elections and it still hasn't surfaced and then it can't be released because we're in the Perda yeah that will be, the so be
0: the mid, mid, mid-march kind of time won't it yes yeah, so
2: i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't rule out that out it's probably what i would do um <laughs> Do I think that it's going to be so damning as it will cost Ben Houchen um, the mayoralty? Um, I think my money would not be on that, but I, um, I think there's a good chance that it will be, uh, there will be criticisms in there probably, particularly around things like governance. But will it be the kind of things that Labour can easily translate into a, a kind of workable, clear primary colours attack line? that's a different question. And as Andy says, Ben Hatchin is sitting on on a pretty chunky majority, and you can already see him starting to put out announcements that are very much along the same kind of tactics as he has successfully pursued in other elections. So he's, as I mentioned, Network North earlier on, I think there's already been three separate, very kind of clear, tangible announcements from Ben Houchin about things that he might do with that money. So you've got a new tunnel potentially under the Tees. You've got uh, um, the, uh, the restoration of the transporter bridge in, Middlesbrough which is obviously iconic and and that was actually nicked from Labour and he nicked that very very quickly from Labour uh, and also some, some stuff to do with the, um, the revival of the railway station at the airport. All of those things are kind of like hard tangible things um, that can be kind of easily advertised versus you know something that may be a bit more technocratic and nebulous that might come out of this inquiry, even if kind of we pour over every word of it and come away going, you know, oh look, that bit is significant. That's not necessarily the same thing as being something that that lands clearly in a in an election campaign. I think the other thing that both Ben houchin and also the Tory incumbent in the West Midlands, uh, Andy Street, will be hoping for, is that um the general election is not called in May. Um because if it coincides with the general election and there's a big national swing towards Labour um, both of them are less likely to be able to hang on. And if you look at the sort of direction of travel within local elections in the East Valley over the last couple of uh, locals, you can see that those vote those councils are sort of starting drift, drifting, labour back towards uh, labour. So you kind of don't really want the added. Uh, if you're Ben Houchen, you don't want the added kind of uh, factor of um, people turning out to vote in a in a general election and that's swinging towards the other side. So that's probably what I would be worried about. Um, but TBC, because this report has been going on for such a long time now that it wouldn't surprise me if I was still sat here next year wondering what's in it. Um, I, I, you know, I completely agree with Andy on the northeast. North, the new northeast Meralty is going to be fascinating. It's also, I think, I'm right in saying the most generous of the devolution deals that have been um, handed out by government so far in cash terms. I mean, they they don't have the kind of trailblazer powers that the the two Andes have got, but no doubt they will be on the road to that fairly quickly um and whoever kind of takes over is going to is going to be able to preside over quite a chunky transport settlement among other things and it's also just kind of um significant isn't it from like a kind of political and identity point of view that actually the northeast was able to get this thing together across this footprint because it took us such a long time to be able to 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 get to that point um I think the, you know, the other interesting thing, I guess, about the mayors is if you get a bunch of new mayors elected in, in May, and I think that's the the most mayors that will have ever been up for election in one go. I think we will have 15 or 16 mayors by 2025 on the current direction of travel. That means that if there is a Labour government, they will inherit something that looks totally different to what they left in 2010. You know, the completely new local political landscape with all of these different individual people, with all of their own kind of feudal little empires and their own wish lists and their own egos, um, and importantly, their own mandates, which obviously we saw in the Oxbridge by-election with Sadiq Khan um, uh, being on a completely different page on his ULE zone to the National Labour Party, that actually, you know, mayors can go out and propose things that are not necessarily on the same page as the National Party, because they do have their own direct mandate. So you end up with a map that's that's pretty chocker with Labour mayors, probably, so then the next question is, how does Keir Starmer's office handle those people, including some, you know, But and the ego thing is quite important here. Like, how do you how do you manage those personalities? How do you manage their kind of respective expectations? And how do you ensure that they're in the tent? Um, and I think all of the jury's currently a little bit out on that, although relationships have been kind of gradually Getting stronger as a result of um, Keir Starmer's uh, chief of staff Sue Gray, who has been building bridges with um, devolved labour devolved labour figures. Uh, So, uh, yeah, that's something that I'm going to be watching over the next twelve months.
0: The One uh, other mayoral contest I would just mention, uh, probably the exception to the rule in that it's likely to yield a conservative mayor is in uh, North Yorkshire and York, uh, which is I think is kind of almost an exception because it is a largely rural patch. Like it's lots of, you know, it's the Dales, it's the Moors, uh, it's lots of small little hamlets and market towns uh and it looks like the the the, the strong favorite there is a conservative councillor called keen duncan who i think will be he's only 29 years old so he will be the youngest metro mayor in the country uh when if, if and when he is elected in may and if ben houchen does hang around if he's still there it would be obviously that would be an adjoining territory to his uh and it'd be interesting to see the sort of correlate the the inter interplay between those two sort of conservative mayors in a in a sea of otherwise labor labor mayors that would be quite an interesting dynamic uh, to watch out for. Um one other date in the diary that I've got for this year June the 23rd uh will be 10 years since uh George Osborne uh, gave his big northern powerhouse speech uh in Manchester he made the case that the lack of economic and physical connections between the cities and city regions of the north was holding back their growth with significant implications for the national economy. You could argue that's a speech he could just as easily give uh, now Um, and his solution was to create a northern powerhouse which is not one city but a collection of northern cities sufficiently close to each other that they can take on the world. Um, So I imagine there's going to be quite a lot of debate because journalism likes likes an anniversary, 10-year anniversary is a good opportunity to sort of reflect on what's happened in the decade that's gone before. Uh, And obviously there's a lot to reflect on. HS2 cancelled, up north, northern powerhouse rail kicked about like a political football, and transport for the north, the big strategic transport uh, body, denuded of powers and funding. I mean, I'll ask you this, Andy, are, are we anywhere close to fulfilling that vision that George Osborne set out in 2014 are you going to surprise us surprise us by saying yes we
1: are i'm not going to surprise you no um i think well look i think i think um uh, obviously we we we're, we're so far away from from the the vision that osborne and his colleagues kind of painted in uh, in 2014 um for all the reasons you mentioned i mean i think i think the one area where where there has been sort of significant progress which jen's just mentioned and and you know the department for leveling up and michael Gove and greg clark probably deserve as much credit for this as kind of osborne in in the years after 2014 you know the kind of mayoralties the combined authorities have um have come thick and fast and uh um you know, and that that does that does kind of uh, uh, really um, come in the sort of template that Osborne sort of set up, particularly with Greater Manchester. Uh, so, you know, so that's happened pretty much in the time frame and in the places that that you'd have expected it to happen. And um, I, and I think kind of it, it, it's been far from straightforward, as uh, again as Jen said, you know. Getting that northeast deal properly done uh, is is one of those horrible jobs that um, was, was was terribly difficult, and you get absolutely zero credit for it either locally or nationally. But you know, to be fair, um, uh, Michael Gove in this in this instance does deserve some credit for getting that over the line, and I think it's a really good thing that that that, that uh, combined authority is being created, and that we'll see the election in May. Um, I mean, I think Kim McGuinness will win it, uh, which was a, a fear that Osborne had when he created Mayors in uh, in in 2014. So, you know, the the institutional dimension to 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 um, or the institutional components of the Northern Powerhouse vision, I think, is is one area where you would say, look, some significant progress has been made, uh, and it's still headed in the right direction. Almost everything else. Um, hasn't happened, whether it's transport, uh, the kind of respective economies in these cities, the respective kind of economy across the whole of the region, uh, education, kind of innovation, are, you know, list the policy areas where uh, uh, progress was expected to be made over the decade we've just gone through. and And the vision has fallen kind of not just short, but woefully short and uh, there'll be no shortage of people kind of spelling that out i think once we uh, get close to june it may even kind of feature in some of those uh, elections <laughs> that uh, uh, that we were just discussing so you know i mean what does what what how, how do you add all that up well you know there is some credit there is some credit for like i say for those those institutional uh um those institutional steps but um, but for very little else
2: yeah, I think it probably in as much as it lives on, it lives on in the mayoral agenda um, in that those, you know, you do now have that caucus of um, of uh, northern figureheads that are able to kind of band together and um, provide a, a bit of a lobbying voice on behalf of the region, which means, you know, and, and that has come as a direct result of the way that George Osborne settled the deal with Greater Manchester 10 years ago Um I think, yeah, it's probably worth saying that I think George Osborne was a true believer in this agenda. Uh, In as much as if if you're going to be really clear about what the Northern Powerhouse was supposed to be from a policy point of view, as opposed to just a kind of branding exercise, the idea was to ensure that your labour markets um, across cities that are really not that far away from each other across the north of England um, could pull their potential, um, pull their um, capital, and that part of that was going to be realised by taking um, uh, intercity transport links very seriously and actually investing in infrastructure and it was also a marketing exercise to foreign investors as well That was uh, people have said to me before that they went on when they went on some of these trips to places like china that this was a concept that actually investors there understood you know they understood it when they were told here is a kind of uh, a part of England that uh, has got x many million people in it, and it provides this level of potential return on investment and etc et etc cetera, et etc cetera, et cetera. and um it would be an interesting kind of counterfactual uh and I've often wondered about this whether or not we would have actually ended up with some of the rail links that we were promised 10 years ago had it not been for Brexit because actually had George Osborne remained in the Treasury, because I think he did really genuinely believe in this stuff and I think because he had um, other like-minded people advising him who also did, like Sahar Bernstein and Jim O'Neill. I suspect some of, you know, and the whole point about um, George Osborne being behind this agenda was that as chancellor, he was able to railroad it through departments that didn't really want to get involved. The second you lose George Osborne from the treasury, the agenda just kind of disintegrates really. And many, and the transport stuff in particular, many, many of those things that were talked about at the time simply not didn't get done, or they got done in a very tiny fraction of them got done, Or they were so woefully delayed that they're only kind of now really being done now. So I think that kind of like there was a kind of economic theory behind it but I think once George Osborne left the government, I'm not sure who the remaining people flying the flag necessarily were other than maybe people like Greg Clark, but I don't think that they were necessarily senior enough in government to be able to then kind of actually make things happen. And of course we know that in the last three or four years, there's been that much kind of turmoil and it's been replaced anyway by Boris Johnson's levelling up agenda which had a very different focus and a very different set of uh, it had a, it actually had a different aim in mind it was a very very political strategy um and so you know what you end up with is that kind of agenda as i say only really living on through the existence of Mes. the one thing i would say you know i wouldn't i wouldn't say that it's been no other outcome from it whatsoever. But what's quite difficult, if you look at some of the economic um, progress that has been made in Manchester during that period, it's quite hard to extrapolate what was the result of um, stuff that local leaders would have been doing anyway, with or without the existence of a devolution deal and a mayor, and how much of it was the result of what came through in 2014. but. One good example of something that you can kind of tie to that devolution deal is the skyscrapers, because these great big new skyscrapers that have been built in the city centre over the last few years essentially came about because Greater Manchester received a kind of recyclable housing fund from the government as part of its deal. And that money was then put straight into making some of those city centre sites viable for developers to come in and build very big, tall blocks of flats, which of course are extremely visible, completely unmissable now if you go into the city centre. Um, would that have happened anyway without that devolution deal? We'll obviously never know, but it is an example of a thing that did come out of what Greater Manchester were given by George Osborne back then. We'll round off
0: uh, our discussion with, uh see if we can make any kind of other predictions about what might happen in 2024, even if it's just when you think the general election will be i'll venture a prediction to start which is that i think sadly we will see a big northern local authority uh go effectively go bust this year we've seen obviously nottingham and birmingham amongst others last year uh declare a section 114 notice which is basically where they've they've run out of money they've got no way of balancing their books and they have to get government commissioners into help and they have to basically stop all but the most essential spending and introduce swinging cuts. There's quite a few other authorities around the country uh, that are possibly in a similar boat. The one I'm looking at most closely is Bradford, which I see has just announced in the last few days that it's going to need to make £40 million worth of cuts just this year alone to come even close to breaking even and even then it's going to be reliant on exceptional funding from the government if it is to avoid uh the dreaded section 114 so i think and, and there are a few other places like maybe middlesbrough which are uh, looking looking quite worrying uh as well so uh, um, jen or andy what, what what any any other things on your radar that you you might possibly venture a bet on happening in the next 12 months
1: well shall i shall i start i mean i think i think you know looking at looking at the um experience in local government across across england it it's i think it's a fairly safe bet that uh, that, that some councils are going to struggle in the north whether whether it gets as far as uh, uh issuing issuing the kind of uh, section uh, 114 and and kind of effective bankruptcy is 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 another matter, but they're certainly they're going to struggle. And I think I think um, they're not the only organisations that are going to struggle. There's, a, I'd say, there's a pretty good chance that a university might uh, in in the north might struggle. I'm not thinking of any particular ones, but I know that most of them. Are under pressure, so you know big local institutions are struggling councils, universities NHS trusts fe colleges all the things that will actually kind of potentially help turn around a place uh, or if they fail, will kind of further condemn them to uh, uh, the kind of downward spiral that they're more which sadly is kind of more typical of lots of uh, lots of places at the moment um, and i think I think this all adds up to the the theme of the year, really, which which will keep coming up in all of the elections we've mentioned uh, from the local elections, kind of you know, possibly even the, the by-election in Blackpool. Um, but um, the local council elections and, uh, uh, and the general election when it comes is 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 that kind of sense of place for people. It's it's how the economy is functioning, not in an abstract way. It's how the eco- the economy feels locally. Does it feel like it's better? How do kind of people's perceptions of the economy, people's experience of the economy, feel? And and that applies to kind of public services. Are they kind of any good? Can you rely on them? Are they falling over? Uh, it obviously also applies to people's earnings, their jobs, their job security. Um, so so it's it's deeply personalised kind of experience of the places that, that that people live in. And um and and you know if councils are falling over, which which they almost certainly will. And big institutions like universities or NHS trusts are, are falling over too. Then you, you know all of that adds to that that sense that that things aren't working in that place anymore. Um, promises haven't been <laughs> delivered. However much the uh, uh, the, the amount is on the leaflet that kind of pops through the door that's been promised to a place. People's actual day-to-day experience of, a, of, a, of, of the place that they live and work in is is deteriorating. And I think that's, that's the kind of, that's the overall political narrative of this year. And I think kind of a council going under or any one of these other institutions in crisis, I think kind of make that story even even worse, even more damaging for particularly for the government uh um and conservative candidates in those elections and that's what offers the opportunity for a kind of counter narrative for uh labor and other candidates in those places uh which is kind of you know th- there's something we can do to stop that happening there's something we can do to turn around your experience of the place that you live in and the job that you do or the income that you have uh or the costs of living in that place and and i think that's that's where that's where kind of this this year's story will evolve as we, as we head through these elections and a, and a council going under is 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 just a a, a big but a component of that of that uh, of of that particular kind of uh, uh, experience that everybody's feeling i think to some extent so you know we'll just have to watch out for it on that basis
2: yeah
0: and uh jen anything you think might happen that we've not covered already
2: well, no, I mean, I think I agree that um, if you if you look at Bir- when Birmingham Council fell over towards the end of last year, it seemed to kind of I mean, obviously it is a very large council, it's a very significant council, but it also seemed to make this kind of greater wave than the whole series of councils that had fallen over before it, and I think that's because you kind of get into this narrative, don't you? Get into this narrative that actually here is just another symptom of the kind of decline that you're experiencing. Uh, I think, you know, simple things like the level of transport chaos over Christmas as a result of the weather, you know, that kind of stuff. These are things that kind of just build on other experiences and kind of stick in people's minds and become part of the national conversation, I guess. Um, And I think, uh, you know, all of that leads into the sort of central question for for the general election, which is, does this end up being what what you know gets sometimes called a change election. You don't you don't necessarily get them very often, but when you do, you know, it might be a ninety-seven or it might be a seventy-nine, where the electorate kind of en masse just decides enough, like something needs to give. And obviously that's what Starmer will be hoping for. He needs it to be a pretty big change election in reality, for it to deliver what he needs it to deliver. Um, but I think for the whole of the next however long we've got until the general election, that's kind of what everybody is going to be looking for, anybody who's kind of following the polls, anybody who's following both into in the parties and also people doing jobs like mine and Andy's and yours, uh, we will be looking to see whether or not that mood has just, it, it's gone and it kind of can't necessarily be reti- retrieved by the Conservatives. Um, and I, I guess just to put something... Um, Slightly more kind of like constructive and positive. Uh, and I, I wrote about it a little bit this morning. Um, obviously, Andy Burnham is now on a journey with his bus reforms. Um, it feels as though more and more places are looking to kind of follow suit and pay attention to how that's playing out in Greater Manchester. So I, I will I will be watching to see whether more places conclusively decide to go down that road, at which point you kind of end up, it starts to become such a momentum really that which which that i imagine whichever government ends up in power is going to have to take it quite seriously as a uh as a a premise you know and um you know do you over time is this the year that you start to move towards a different status quo for this stuff outside of london and um maybe finally some kind of coherent change to the public transport system that most people rely on
0: Yeah, I I saw in uh, Andy Burnham's New Year message, as well as uh, continuing to sort of do the the bus reforms that have seen local buses taken into public hands. He wants to uh, tackle the thorny issues of uh, housing uh, and the sort of very poor housing that many people in Greater Manchester are forced to endure and the uh, education system that sort of means that lots of people are deprived of, uh, who, who don't want to go to university, are deprived of the best opportunities. And yeah, maybe like you say, if he is able to succeed in those ventures, perhaps 2024 will be the year in which the North is able to start tackling its problems, if not by itself, then more by itself than it has done in, in the past. And that would, I suppose, be something that constructive that has come out of come out of this year. So um that's all we've got time for this week. Um thank you, Jen. Thank you, Andy, for coming on and reflecting on 2024. We'll uh, Maybe next year we'll, we'll look back on this episode and reflect on what we got right or what we didn't get right. Uh, and if we didn't get anything right, we won't, we won't mention it again. We uh, so don't want don't to look bad. But um, thank you both for, for joining me, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Northern Agenda podcast. And don't forget, you can subscribe to our daily newsletter at thenorthernagenda.co.uk it's more important than ever for northern voices to be heard the northern agenda is a laudable production for reach it's presented by me rob parsons and it's produced by daniel J. mccoughlin if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the northern agenda wherever you listen to your podcasts including apple and spotify also check out the other laudable podcasts see you next week bye